0: All too often, things don't go as we plan. You organise a trip to the beach, but it rains. You plan to visit your family, but the car breaks down on the way. And because this is what happens for us, we sometimes wonder if it's the same thing for God. Does God find things not quite going the way he plans? Uh, The other week, the census data was released, and for the first time, fewer than half of Australians ticked the box to say they identified with Christianity. Maybe things aren't going to plan for God. And then you think about places where Christians face immense discrimination and persecution. We just prayed for Sri Lanka, everything about church buildings, bombed, believers beheaded. Maybe things aren't going to plan for God. I wonder if this is a question ever asked by the earliest believers. At the start of the year, we got into the first seven chapters of Acts. Uh, Acts is volume two of Luke's story of Jesus. The same bloke who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he also wrote what we call the book of Acts. And he says at the beginning of Acts, in my former book, my first book, he's talking about what we call Luke's gospel, Theophilus. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So Luke's gospel tells us what Jesus began to do from his birth to his ascension Acts tells us what Jesus continues to do now that he is ascended and reigning. In the first seven chapters, we saw amazing things happen, like the Holy Spirit being poured out and thousands of people following Jesus. All of this stuff that happens is because Jesus is king. His kingdom has arrived The day of the Lord has come, the kingdom has come, and it is now growing. And we saw in those first seven chapters, not only do a huge number of people trust in Jesus and follow him, but there's also opposition and persecution. And we finished our series in chapter seven, where the opposition really had come to a head as an angry mob lynched a follower of Jesus named Stephen, stoning him to death. But that was just the beginning. Uh, The murder of Stephen inspired a young up-and-coming Jewish leader named Saul. And Saul starts organising an attack on the followers of Jesus. He arrests men and women. He doesn't care who. He just wants to destroy the church So read with me from verse 1. This is Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And Saul approved of their killing him. That's Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Saul went out to destroy the church. It's a bit like going out and pulling weeds in your garden or your paddock. He got out the fork and was was digging up the nut grass. He was pulling out the giant rat's tail, but... All that happened, as it does happen in my house anyway, is that you try and get rid of the weeds, all that happens is that they spread more and more. Same thing happened for Paul, verse 4. Those who had been scattered, like the seeds of the giant rat's tail, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, if you're one of those who've been thrown in jail you're one of those who had to flee your home and go to Judea or Samaria as a refugee and verse 1 tells us the apostles they haven't come with you the leaders those who knew Jesus most closely they haven't come with you so you've had to flee your home and your family and your are leaderless and abandoned your your friends are in jail how do you feel you might be wondering if things were going to God's plan. Now, verse four gives us a bird's eye view. Luke, writing with hindsight and with the Spirit's inspiration, he shows us that scattering hasn't stopped the spread of the gospel. In fact, it's sped it up. But I don't think many would have felt that at the time. Has God's plan failed? Well, keep that question in your mind. Because to show us what's really going on, Luke zooms in on one of the refugees, one of the everyday believers who's scattered to Samaria. Uh, The guy he zooms in on is Philip. Uh, We met Philip back in chapter 6. Philip was one of the blokes chosen along with Stephen. Uh, They were chosen to help distribute food to the widows. His job description was caring for those in need. But like Stephen, the next thing you hear about Philip isn't about serving food. We don't get told, well, Philip went and he could carry so many bowls of food. It was fantastic. We don't get told that he was really great at solving the disputes between the Greek-speaking and the Hebrew-speaking widows. Instead, he's like Stephen. Philip and Stephen, they're ordinary believers. They're not apostles. But all we hear about them is just, they can't help but tell people about Jesus. Have a listen from verse 5. This is Acts 8-5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. There's great joy in that city initially because of the healings and exorcisms. God's power is on display. Uh, Now, it's worth noting, this is almost the last time signs and healings get mentioned in this way in Acts. But I reckon one reason why we're told about them here is because in this city, in this city of Samaria, Samaria. They were used to being wowed by impressive spiritual displays. Verse 9. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and all the people both high and low gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. So this city where Philip had gone was a city enthralled by great power. And although they seem to link Simon's power to God, this isn't the miracles of a prophet. It, it's clearly, it's called sorcery, and sorcery in the Old Testament clearly says it's wrong. Although the people attribute this power to God, Simon is not a servant of God. It's not too strong to say that he's a servant of Satan. Simon's leading the people of Samaria astray. But Philip shows up, a servant of the true and living God, full of God's Holy Spirit, and the people are overjoyed. They're overjoyed to see God really at work instead of Simon's fraudulent sorcery. And so not only do the people believe in Jesus, but Simon does too, verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Uh, this makes me think about Moses in Egypt. After Moses meets God in the not-burning bush, he goes back to Egypt. And through Moses, God works miracles. You've got that staff that becomes a snake and the hand that becomes leprous. Initially, Pharaoh's magicians, they can, they can do the same thing. They, they keep neck-to-neck neck with, with Moses. They're not all that impressed by, the, by those first few signs. But then... The plagues come and God's power is fully at display and the magicians have no answer, no response. Their fake religion, their sorcery has no answer to the power of God. The same kind of thing is happening in Samaria. When the gospel comes and it it comes up against the tricks and the sorcery, Just like when the gospel comes against persecution, God's plan prevails. In all of this, what looks like God being out of control, there are scary things happen like persecution and sorcery. You can imagine Philip showing up in Samaria and meeting this guy who can do magic tricks. He's probably a little bit scared, but God's plan prevails. In all of this, what looks like God is out of control God is actually using these things in order to achieve his plan. Back in Acts chapter 1, Acts eight, this is the key verse for understanding the whole book of Acts. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Why the persecution? To get the gospel to Judea and Samaria, just as Jesus said. The apostles seem to have forgotten Jesus' plan. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit came upon them, just what he said would happen. And they faithfully witnessed to Jesus in Jerusalem. They've been bold in the face of persecution. They've been faithful and patient in speaking about Jesus, but they seem to have forgotten Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Even when Saul is throwing the believers in jail and everyone else flees to Judea and Samaria, did you notice that in verse 1? It's no accident that Luke says Judea and Samaria. Even when the believers are scattered to spread the gospel the apostles stay behind. So there are actually so far three things we're seeing that are going against or seem to go against God's plan. Persecution, sorcery, and the slowness, the reluctance of the apostles. From here on in the book of Acts, the apostles are always playing catch-up. They're not really leaders, they're behind the eight ball. But... They hear of what's happened in Samaria, that people have started trusting in Jesus and Philip's been baptizing Samaritans. And so Peter and John, I take it they're the lead of the apostles, the lead apostles, Peter and John go down to Samaria to investigate. Verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there, that they might not, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now why did Peter and John go down to Samaria? It could be they're suspicious. Maybe they're not so sure about these Samaritans because Samaritans and Jews did not get on. Uh, Jesus' famous parable of the good Samaritan, because that's so well known, I think some people think the word Samaritan is another word for a person who works at a charity shop. But that's not what the word means. It's an ethnic group. Uh, And Jews and Samaritans were enemies. Uh, once Jesus spoke with a Samaritan woman, then this is what, he, what she said. You, she's talking to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Uh, Jews didn't associate with Samaritans because they were kind of like estranged family. The history of the Samaritans is complex, but there's a link between uh, Samaritans and the northern kingdom of Israel. They're kind of Jewish, but in the minds of the Judeans, the Samaritans were corrupted. They didn't accept all of the Hebrew scriptures. They didn't accept the prophets and the writings. They only considered the first five books of the Bible to be God's word. Also, they worshipped on their own holy mountain and not in Jerusalem. Samaritans were the enemy. And that's probably why Peter and John went to investigate. Surely God, surely God knows that these are our enemies. He wouldn't be saving them. But they get there. They see the Samaritans have true faith in Jesus and they have been baptised. And so they pray for them to receive the Spirit. And they do. Now, it's not normal to receive the Spirit so long after believing. It's not the normal way things happen in Acts. In fact, this is the only time it happens quite like this. The reason for the delay, it's not because you've got to have an apostle come and, and put their hands on you and pray for you before you can receive the Spirit. Yesterday, I an, we ordained a, a bloke at Mullaney, the new minister at Mullaney. We laid hands on him and prayed. We, we weren't doing that because we thought he didn't have the Holy Spirit and he needed some special ministers and elders to touch him in order to get the Holy Spirit. no. That's not what's going on here. They didn't think that the apostles controlled the, the spirit. The delay happened not for the Samaritans' benefit, but for the apostles' benefit. They needed to catch up with God's plan. They need to remember Jesus' command to be witnesses in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The spirit was delayed not for the Samaritans' benefit, but for the apostles'. Having the apostles come down to Samaria also connects the churches. Without the apostles praying and seeing the Spirit at work, there's a risk there could have become two groups of believers, two groups of churches, one centered in Jerusalem and another for the rest of the world. But the laying on of hands ensures unity in the people of God. There is only one people of God. One kingdom of God. This, I don't know if we realise how astounding this is, particularly as for most of us, we are Gentiles, we are actually used to the fact that Jewish people are the minority when it comes to Christians, but this is huge. This moment when the gospel gets to Samaria, this is so exciting because it's the fulfilment of something God promised long, long ago. It's the fulfilment of what God said through Ezekiel. Ezekiel 37, it's a, a famous chapter because it's got the dry bones vision. Ezekiel 37 also has another picture where Ezekiel is told to get two sticks and God tells him, join the two sticks together so they look like one stick. Uh, the point of the, the, the picture is to say, God has a plan to unite his people to unite the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, to unite Jerusalem and what would pretty much become Samaria and make them one. This is what God said through Ezekiel. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. This is exactly what the apostles get to see. God's plans are coming together right before their eyes. God's kingdom, God's one kingdom, believing Samaritans and believing Jews together with the one king, the Lord Jesus, ruling over all of his people. If you remember back to Acts 1.6, the question the apostles asked was, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's happening. The Samaritans didn't receive the spirit until the apostles came down so the apostles themselves could see the truth. This is the kingdom. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is being restored as the gospel goes to Jews, Samaritans and to the ends of the earth. Just as Ezekiel said, the kingdom is being restored. Jesus is king. He is enthroned in heaven and his people, his kingdom are all those who believe in him. Jews, Samaritans and eventually people like us too. It won't be long now in the book of Acts. We're going to get to it in this series where people like us become part of God's kingdom as well. God's plan has not been stopped. It wasn't stopped by persecution. It wasn't stopped by Simon's sorcery. It wasn't stopped by the apostles' slowness. It wasn't stopped by their possible reluctance to associate with Samaritans, those God had promised to unite in his kingdom. God's plans are also not thwarted by sin. Now, Simon the sorcerer was one of those who believed and was baptised. And he started following Peter everywhere. Sorry, not Peter, but Philip everywhere. And when he sees the apostles' authority and power, it reignites his lust for power and significance. And so he tries to buy to bribe Peter and John. Verse 18. When Simon saw, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of, uh, uh, sorry, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. There's a threat here again for Peter and John. Simon was probably pretty well off. Most likely people would have paid him for his magical services. He probably had quite a bit of coin to offer Peter and John. And we know they don't have much for themselves. Silver and gold have I none, they said to the lame man at the temple. This would have been a tempting offer, another threat to God's plan. But they reject Simon's offer and we find out the real threat was never to the apostles but to Simon's heart and Simon's salvation. Verse 20, Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Peter's words are really tough, really serious. Simon's salvation is on the line. What do you reckon? Is Simon a genuine believer? It could be that Simon never had saving faith, that he was impressed by the miracles and he thought that Jesus maybe was a way of getting more power, that even though he was baptised, he was never a genuine believer. It may also instead be that he had true living faith in Jesus, that he did receive the Holy Spirit, but like all Christians, he sins and he still needs to repent. The Christian life is one of continual repentance, continually acknowledging our sin and asking God for forgiveness. And that's why as, as a church, we always confess our sin to God as part of what we do together. And it might be that this is the case for Simon. Simon. Genuine faith in Jesus, filled with God's Spirit, and God uses Peter's rebuking of him, urging him to confess and to continue in God's forgiveness. I'm not sure whether Simon has true faith or not, because it's not really the point. The reason we're told this story is whether Simon is a genuine believer fallen into sin or whether he's a fake convert, At this point, as he offers money for power, he is a threat. He is a threat to the progress of the gospel. He could be a stumbling block to God's plans, but through the word of God coming through Peter, the threat is removed and God's plans continue. And now, verse 25, even Peter and John get fully on board with God's plans. Verse 25. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. After Peter calls Simon to repentance, I take it there's repentance from Peter and John. Previously, they didn't want to associate with Samaritans. Previously, they wanted to stay in Jerusalem, even though it was a threatening place to be, a scary place to be. Previously, they didn't want to obey Jesus and take the gospel to Samaritans. But now, they proclaim Jesus. They want God's kingdom to grow even in Samaria. God's plans haven't gone off the rails. Persecution didn't stop him. In fact, it seems God planned the persecution so the kingdom would grow beyond Jerusalem and into Samaria. Sorcery didn't stop God's plans. He is much more powerful Sin didn't stop God's plans, whether the slowness of the apostles or Simon's lust for power. Things always go according to God's plan. Why? Because Jesus is risen and ascended and he reigns and has established and is establishing his kingdom. And his kingdom grows through everyday believers, believers like Philip. Believers like you and me. And when we see things happening and we wonder if things aren't going according to God's plan, whether it's the census trends or persecution, whether it's all sorts of sad things that happen to us personally, whether it's times that we stumble and fall into sin, Jesus is always king. And we see here that God may even use what seems to us to be a bad thing, but God even uses them for his plans and purposes. And so God's call to us is to be patient and faithful. Our calling is the same as when Jesus said the words of Acts 1.8, to keep getting the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, even to Gimpy. So let's pray that, like the earliest believers, that as we go about whatever's happening in our life, good things, bad things, that like those earliest believers, we'd be like weed seed, continuing to live and speak faithfully for Jesus, that God would grow his kingdom through us. Let's pray. Father God, please help us to trust in you to have confidence in you and your kingdom, especially when we feel things aren't going to plan. When there's opposition or suffering, help us know you are in control. The Lord Jesus is reigning as Lord and Christ. We ask you to enable us to see your growing kingdom. Use us like you used, Philip, to bring the message of salvation with great joy to our region. We ask you'd be pleased to save many people and grow the churches in our region. For Jesus' sake we ask. Amen.